Saturday, April the 24th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Navalny ends his hunger strike, and the J&J vaccine is back in America. First, the week in brief. Alexei Navalny ended his hunger strike, which had lasted for 24 days after Russian authorities allowed him to see doctors from outside the prison where he is being held. The opposition leader hailed the semi-concession as, quote, huge progress, although it did not meet his demand to see his own physician to treat ailments he suffers as a result of having been poisoned. His doctors had issued a letter saying he was endangering his life by continuing the strike. An American federal advisory panel recommended resuming use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, but added a warning about a rare but potentially serious blood clotting side effect. The vaccine, which uses only a single shot and need not be stored at super-cold temperatures, may be brought back into use in America as soon as this weekend. India's hospitals and regional governments clashed over access to medical oxygen. A crush of 92,000 active cases of COVID-19 in Delhi has private clinics closing their doors to new patients. Two hospital chains directors tweeted that they were down to less than an hour's supply. The capital's chief minister complained that oxygen tankers bound for Delhi were being waylaid by other states. Hope faded for the crew of an Indonesian submarine that went missing about 100 kilometres from Bali on Wednesday. An ongoing rescue effort, including contributions from at least four navies, has been unable to locate the KRI Nangala 402, which was manned by 53 sailors. The vessel's own supply of oxygen would have run out early on Saturday morning. A man who stabbed and killed a policewoman in a police station in Rambouillet, near Paris, was shot dead. The assailant reportedly shouted, Allahu Akbar. The public prosecutor's office said it would consider whether to regard it as a terrorist attack. France's Prime Minister Jean Castex spoke of his, quote, determination to fight terrorism in all its forms. Thousands gathered in Chad's capital for the funeral of President Idris Deby, killed last week during a clash with Libyan-based rebels. France's President Emmanuel Macron, who saw Mr. Deby as an ally in the fight against Islamic extremism in the Sahel, also attended. A military council headed by the late president's son says it will hold elections in 18 months. Jidu Auto, a Chinese joint venture between Baidu, a tech giant, and Geely, a car maker, said it planned to invest 50 billion yuan, $7.7 billion, in smart vehicles over the next five years. Meanwhile, firms outside China are racing to catch up on electrification. Honda announced that all its cars would be powered by fuel cells or electricity by 2040. And editor's note. Yesterday's Espresso said that President Joe Biden had promised not to raise taxes on those making less than $400 million a year. That should have been $400,000. And we said malaria was caused by a mosquito-borne virus. That should have been mosquito-borne non-viral parasites. Our apologies. And now, here's today's agenda. Tragedy of the Common, the Oscars. 
Most of last year's big films were postponed because of COVID-19, so this year's Academy Awards on Sunday face slim pickings. But that's not their only problem. Audiences have long been losing interest in the Oscars, as well as the equivalent awards for music and television. Gong shows made more sense in an era when media diets were restricted to a handful of television channels and radio stations, which meant that everyone consumed the same fare. Video and music streaming services have changed all that. The likes of Netflix and Spotify, as well as platforms for amateur creators like YouTube and TikTok, offer near-infinite options. Their algorithms ensure that no two audiences get the same experience. The Oscars and other awards celebrate the best of what they take to be a common popular culture. Declining interest in the ceremonies is a symptom of that common culture's erosion. Found at last, Harriet Tubman's house. On a hunch, an archaeologist sweeping a metal detector in a wildlife reserve in Maryland found several artifacts from the 19th century. This week, it was announced that she had found the site of the cabin where Harriet Tubman, a celebrated abolitionist, had lived as a young woman. Its location had eluded historians for decades. Tubman's father bought the cabin after his release from slavery in the 1840s. It was there, amid the marshy terrain, that he taught the teenaged Harriet essential survival skills, how to navigate by the stars, travel up streams and rivers, and use the landscape to her advantage. These would prove vital as she guided nearly 70 slaves north to freedom on the Underground Railroad, a network of safe houses between 1850 and 1860. The discovery may lend momentum to the Biden administration's pledge to replace Andrew Jackson, a polarizing slave-owning president, with Tubman on America's $20 bill. Slurping it up, Hong Kong's new noodle museum. Hong Kong's noodle lovers are enjoying a tasty cultural exchange with Japan after a museum celebrating all things ramen launched in the city last month. Cup Noodles Museum spans over 900 square meters in the Yao Tsim Mong district. Visitors can wander through the history of noodles while munching on pots of the stuff. There are already two branches in Osaka and Yokohama, but this is the first outside Japan. The main attractions, My Cup Noodles Factory and Demai Icho Factory, were test-run in Hong Kong before the pandemic as pop-up shops. A flush of interest prompted Nissin, the noodle giant behind the enterprise, to open a permanent museum. My Cup Noodles Factory is a simple affair. Visitors choose their favorite topping and soup, design a cup, then tuck into their creation. The Demai Icho Factory demands more patience and dexterity. Patrons must knead, dry and fry dough to create instant ramen. The Frailer Sex, Y Chromosomes and Male Mortality Women on average outlive men. The reasons range from men's heavier disease burden to their participation in crime and war. But a group of American researchers believes the root cause of men's earlier graves could run deeper. They have been studying Y chromosomes, male sex chromosomes, in fruit flies, whose males also die younger. Their latest work in the journal PLOS Genetics builds the case that repetitive sequences of DNA on Y chromosomes engender a, quote, toxic Y effect. 
These repetitions contain deleterious mutations and, when expressed, appear to cause faster aging and earlier death. Moreover, this effect is even more pronounced in a species of fruit fly with larger Y chromosomes containing more repeats. If these findings are analogous to humans, it may, at least partially, account for why men die younger than women. And the human Y chromosome is indeed largely composed of repetitive sequences. Perhaps masculinity really is toxic. The air up there, COVID-19 on Mount Everest. Nowhere on Earth is safe from coronavirus, it seems. Earlier this week, the first case was confirmed at the base camp of Mount Everest when a Norwegian climber thought to be suffering from high-altitude pulmonary edema tested positive after being evacuated. Reopening climbing routes for this year's March to May season was a calculated risk for Nepal's government. It banned all climbing in 2020, but was eager to provide work for the estimated one million locals engaged in tourism. Climbing permits, which typically cost more than $10,000, are also a handy source of revenue. Around 340 had been issued for this season by mid-April, approaching the record of 382 set in 2019. To mitigate the risks, the government required negative tests and a quarantine for would-be climbers, but reports suggest that enforcement was patchy. Given the environment of much-reduced oxygen, identifying cases of COVID-19 on the mountain is challenging enough to say nothing of treatment. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Daniel Defoe, who died on this day in 1731. All men would be tyrants if they could. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.